Good morning. How are you guys doing? I see a lot of single guys in the back. We're definitely, it's women's retreat weekend, okay? Well, hey, it's a joy to be with you. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at the well. And, and yes, as Paul just prayed for our team, uh, me and my wife, Laura, who was not up here earlier, uh, we are going to the Middle East as a team. And so it is a joy to be sent as one of your pastors too. So thank you for praying for us. We really do uh, need your prayers. Uh, before I jump into where we're headed today, uh, I just want to acknowledge it's kind of a special time in our country right now. Um, if you are a veteran or if you have served in the military or if you are actively or if your family member did, would you stand right now? Anybody in here today? Awesome. Thank you. We, we really do appreciate your service. And as we get to talk about sending missionaries this morning, we get to do that a lot because of the freedoms that we're blessed with in this country, thanks to many of you. So thank you for all that you, you do. Um, I, I got to experience something yesterday that I want to start with that uh, was just awesome. I went to my first UT football game. Anybody? Okay. I learned that OU sucks. Okay. Um, it was a great time. Um, really got to see that last field goal. It was a great, great time for me. But um, in all of that, the best thing I took away from UT, which is awesome, is what starts at UT. The world. How many of you can do that with our mission statement? <laughs> Nobody, right? Okay. So uh, all you Longhorns, get that mission statement. No, um, we, we're going to have some fun this morning. We're actually talking about what starts here at the well can change the world. We're going to talk about sending missionaries. And the last Two months, we've been in this huge vision series, letting everybody know kind of our DNA, who we are as a church. We talked about exalting the name of Jesus. We talked about discipling others. And we, now we're talking about sending. And so this is actually the last week of that series. And then we're going to be shifting into the book of Jonah next week, okay? And so as we are ending this series, we're going to end with sending missionaries. And this morning, you're hearing me talk a lot about how we send. So I'm talking to us as a family about how we send and what we do and what that looks like. And so we're going to talk through a few of those things together. If you've got your Bibles or if you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. Actually, if you need a Bible, throw your hand up. We want to get a Bible to you. But we're going to be in Acts 13 and Matthew 28. So kind of keep your fingers in both places. Uh, but we're going to start out there in just a minute. Um, this is really, for me, this is kind of a heart message for me. This is a joy. I'm going to share a few personal stories with you. Um, it doesn't mean it has to stay in here, but it, it means that it's just fun. It's fun to share what God is doing around the world. And uh, if you don't know, I, I've been here for a few months, but before that, my wife and I served with some missions organizations and did other things and uh, felt like God really called us to equip people to go on mission. Uh, we had served in Mozambique and some other places, and so I'll share more about that uh, during our time together. But really, I can honestly say, if I wasn't a pastor here at the well, I'd probably be overseas, because it's just way more fun. They dance a lot more at church there, okay? And so uh, where we're headed this morning, we're going to talk about sending missionaries and really our heart for that as a church. Um, and I want you to turn first to Matthew 28. And we're going to look at that, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And this might be a familiar passage to some of you, um, but as we get into this, I hope you see our vision. Our vision here is to send 100 long-term 
full-time missionaries within the first 50 years of being a church. We want to partner relationally with missionaries who are focused on church planting to help reach the nations for the sake of the gospel, specifically those nations that do not yet have sufficient access to the gospel. Uh, To do this, we really need the Holy Spirit to raise up missionaries. We need this to be the work of the Spirit. And you might not realize this, but God's kind of raising up a whole generation of people really on the I-35 corridor. There's actually about 275,000 college students just from San Antonio to Waco. There is so much that God is doing by bringing people to this city of Austin. We actually want to launch people out and send people out of this place and to point them to the nations. And so for some of you in here this morning, what we're going to talk about, you're going to be like, hey, that's for somebody else, not for me. You need to hear this. If you're in here this morning, you've just been waiting for God to give you a moment to say yes to missions and to serving him, this message is for you. Um, And for some of you, this might push you to even just go on your first mission trip internationally. And the reason we're we're pushing so much in that direction is because there is incredible, incredible need around the world. We do this as a church really in three different ways. So if you are taking notes, you want to look at this, or if you're considering missions, I encourage you to write some of this down. Uh, First, we send long-term missionaries as a church. We send people that are willing to sell everything they have here to go overseas, that they're ready to go and to make home overseas and not in the States, that they would actually go to a new culture and a new people to do that. We also send midterm people, so people from like, a year to two. And, and so we've got actually our Barcelona team. Anybody know folks on our Barcelona team? Some of you, awesome. How many of you just love those folks? Yeah, we're gonna talk about that too. Um, those folks are, are like midterm folks for us. And so they're actually seeing people gather right now and they're having about 20 people show up and seven of those people have come to know Jesus and they're from countries that are closed to the gospel. And that's just incredible that God is moving in that way. And then as you saw, as Paul prayed over us just a moment ago, we're sending a short-term trip. And so if you look at that long-term, that's like maybe what you grew up thinking what a missionary looks like. But then we also want to recognize there's kind of this time and season, especially with a lot of young people. It's like, man, you can go for a year or two, give some of your best years for the sake of the gospel, and see God move in really, really powerful ways. And those are midterm folks. And we've got our short-term teams. And so if any of those kind of start to spark your interest this morning, we're going to have a time at the end to actually pray for that and to encourage you and bless you in that. And so just want to give you that heads up this morning. Um, There's a lot going on in our church family. We've been in this sermon series really talking about our DNA, really who we are as a church, really the last two months. And as we've done that, it's kind of culminating with this going heart, okay? We talked about exalting the name of Jesus. We've talked about discipling each other to really look more like Jesus. And now the last few weeks, we've been talking about sending, okay? Sending to serve our city, to serve our church. How are we going to actually go out and exalt the name of Jesus and disciple other people to do that? And so this morning, we're talking about sending missionaries, um, we really want to do this until the whole world hears. If you're here this morning, you don't know why. Why would people send missionaries to other countries? Why would you give up your vacation time? Why would you give up your money? Why would you do that? Well, we're going to talk about why that is so important and how we get to do that. We, we really get to do this because we're a part of the gospel being spread. We're a part of God's mission. 
because his mission ultimately is to redeem the world to himself. And so as, as we get started, I know I said Acts 13, but I'm going to start us in a very familiar passage, the Great Commission. And I'm actually going to focus on a verse in there and a few words that most of us don't always think about or stick to. So that's in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So if you want to turn there or look on the screen, that will be there for you. So in Matthew 28, we see that Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our mission. This is our commission. You heard that really spoken over that church plant last week. Refuge Community Church was commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations. We not only send missionaries to reach places where the gospel hasn't been yet, we also send missionaries strategically, we talked about, to go into places who will then send more people out. This is an exponential movement. We don't want to just send short-term trips. I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. We don't want to just send people for a few weeks. We actually want to send people to sell everything they have here and to move overseas. Uh, My prayer, and I've been praying for a few weeks now, is that somebody in here, that God would move in your heart this morning and you would do that. And and so if that's already messing with you and you're like, no, he's going to say something. It's like, yeah, that's good, okay? Today's the day. Uh, Some of you have been waiting for an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Uh, to go, and I pray that you do. We desire, and I'm going to be clear here, we desire to send 100 long-term, full-time missionaries within the first 50 years of being a church. We will partner relationally with missionaries who are focused on church planning to help reach the nations for the sake of the gospel, specifically those nations that do not yet have sufficient access to it. This is really important to us. We want to send missionaries to then plant in such ways that other people would come to know Jesus, that they would plant themselves, their families, and who they are really, then to raise up national leaders in those countries. And we'll count that as one missionary sent. That is an incredible deal, only can be done by the power of Jesus. And so we want to also launch, we want to equip and send. There's a ton of people in this room, and it would be great to send out a lot of you. If, if 20 people in this room went overseas and moved to a, a country in the Middle East, it would be much more fruitful probably than staying in Austin, Texas. And so do we have that kingdom mindset to go and to do that? Uh, we want to equip people from the campus. A UT is right across the highway, literally from us. Uh, there's 275,000 college students at any given semester from San Antonio just to Waco. Think about that. There is a whole movement of young people who are just dying to come move to Austin, Texas. Let's send them back out to the nations. And so we want to launch and be really a launching ground for that. And so at the well, we've really got kind of three ways that we want to launch people. We've got long-term missionaries. Those are people that, like I said, they sell everything and move. We've seen that happen. Bob and Martha Robbins are in Sao Paulo, Brazil. That's a really strategic location for us. That's the most diverse city in the Southern Hemisphere. 
And so we have sent them there and they've planted a church and it's, it's a church, it, it looks like this, okay? There are people actually preaching, leading worship, there's people being sent out from there and that is a, a long-term person for us. And we've got really our midterm people and so many of you, how many of you know people on our Barcelona team? Shout out, something like that, awesome. Woo, okay. So those folks have made a two-year commitment. They made a commitment to go and to see what God might do and guess what, they already have 20 people meeting Seven people have come to know Jesus from countries that were closed to the gospel in that meeting. And they've only been there five or six months, guys. It is incredible to see what God is doing in that place. And then we've got short-term trips. Like you just saw uh, myself and others get prayed over. We're going just for about two and a half weeks. And we're going to pray that God would move and he would work and connect us long-term. And so those are just three ways you can go. You can go long-term, mid-term, and short-term. And I hope that that sticks with you. And, and those are just ways you can personally go to the nations. You can also support people in that effort. Um, I, I want to go now to uh, really look at the book of Acts. And so we're going to be in <clears throat> Acts 13. And the book of Acts really is a look at the early church. It's a really the first 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. So where we're picking up in Acts 13 is 10 years after Jesus has risen from the dead and he has ascended into heaven. And so you imagine 10 years removed from that, all the people and all the conversations, all that would happen. So Acts 13, one through three says this. Now there were at the church in Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You literally noticed earlier that Paul, he laid his hands on us and sent us, right? We're being prayed, we're being commissioned, we're being sent out. And we see this in the early church as well. So the first thing we do when we sin, though, is we send in the authority of Jesus' name. We send in Jesus' authority. And, and I'm going to flip back to, to Matthew 28, 18, which it really is the verse there I think we skip so often. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. You notice that the therefore... For, for verse 19 comes after the authority piece. Because Jesus has the authority, then he sends them. We forget that Jesus is greater than anything or anyone in this world. We are so comfortable a lot of times we forget that God is moving and working. I have people ask me a lot of times when I share stories of what I've seen God do around the world and they'll say, well, why doesn't that happen in America? And I'll say, it does actually. It does, wherever the gospel is being spoken and shared. God is the one doing these things. So I just want to share a story with you just to reflect on God's authority and, and who he is. In fact, you, you might not know this, but most people overseas, when you ask them to share their testimony or how they came to Christ, they most often start with the first person that came to Christ in their family. It could be a grandfather or a grandmother or a parent. They start with that, and, and I would challenge you, actually, think through your own family lineage and testimony. Do you know the first believer in your family? Because that affects you so much. Uh, a lot of uh, us in here, a lot of you, you're the first believer in your family. 
and you get to change generations. And so I'm going to share a story that you, you won't forget. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is just too good. Um, <laughs> my friend, uh, Finney, he lives north of Chennai in India. And Finney, when I asked him his testimony, responded with how his grandfather came to Christ. See, his grandfather and his grandmother were unable to have children. And so his grandfather was actually a Hindu priest in the temple, and his grandmother was a priestess. And so they were performing uh, acts where they were giving to idols. That was their daily life, and they could not get pregnant. And so um, for some of you, this, this story will mess with you, and, and that's a good thing. I'm okay with that. Um, the wife was desperate. She was, in her mind, losing her value in her culture, not being able to have children. She went and she saw this new guy who had come in town, an Indian missionary. Thankfully, he just handed her a Bible, come pregnant. How do I do this? And thankfully, he just handed her a Bible and said, read this. Take this home with you. The wife takes it home. She doesn't read it. She hides it in her house, and a few days go by, and the husband and her have been fighting, because the husband, every night, welcomed a demon to come and protect their home. It would manifest and protect their home. And so he goes out one night and says, why will you not come into this home? And he and his wife are fighting back and forth, and he's trying to figure out why the demon won't come and protect the home. And so the wife finally, who now had been reading the word, takes the Bible after her husband had hit her in anger and all of that. He takes, she takes the Bible to him, shows him the Bible, and he then sees that there's a, a different God in this Bible. He holds up the Bible to the demon outside his house and says, if this God is greater than you, then why do I need you? And that is how that man became a Christian. And then his son went on to plant and be part of planting 175 churches in southern India. Uh, his son is the one that I'm friends with. They now have over 17,000 people worshiping Jesus in one of their churches every Sunday at church. This morning, they're worshiping Jesus. In fact, they're at Sunday night church right now while we're on Sunday morning church, okay? <laughs> Our God is greater than anything in this world. When Jesus says, I have all authority, that's the kind of authority he's talking about. He has all authority. So when you go, you're going in Jesus' name. So when we send, we need to send in Jesus' authority, not our own. Just because you're part of the well doesn't mean you're ready to go. We can't just slap the name of something on there and that means you're ready. It's Jesus. He's the one that sends and it's by his authority that we are sent. Often we don't go out of fear. We don't go on mission even to our workplaces, even to our families out of fear. The reality is, and this sounds harsh, but many of us have just forgotten that God is greater than anything in this world. We forget that Jesus actually, our neighbors are going to hell. We're more fearful of our circumstances than whether or not our neighbors are going to hell. 
We would rather be liked by our family than know if they're going to heaven or hell. We often limit God based on what we see rather than who he is. We, we really tend not to go on mission because we ourselves don't believe in the authority of Jesus. When you think about how passionate and how excited the disciples were to go, they actually saw the living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And if you believe that, you too will go. It might not be overseas, but it might be. So number one, we send in Jesus' authority. Number two, we send from multiple cultures to multiple cultures. We are able to send from multiple cultures because we are multicultural. And I want to be careful not to say just multi-ethnic. Because if we just limit ourselves to our ethnicities, we're missing out on the whole beauty of what God is doing in this place. Just because we're different colors doesn't mean we're different cultures. And just because we're different cultures doesn't mean we have to be different colors. There's a lot that God is doing in us and through us as a family that makes us all so, so different. We can bring that family culture together. So in Acts 13, I want to go back to verse 1. When we look at sending and how we want to send, this should really shape how we send. Acts 13, 1 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Okay, look at that closely. That means that five of the leaders mentioned are all different. One is from the Middle East, one is from Asia, one is from the Mediterranean, and two are from Africa. Now, this is only 10 years after Jesus resurrected. Now, Pastor J.D. Greer writes, why does Luke tell us this? And you never hear any of these guys again. Which means the only reason that Luke indicates that detail is to show you that the early church leadership in Antioch was culturally diverse. It was not just culturally diverse, their, their giftings were different. There was all this going on at this place. In fact, they were a persecuted church. So when they came together, it was a bunch of persecuted Christians from all over the world already. In Acts eleven twenty six, 26, it says, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. This was the first group to be called Christians. And the reason that is, is because they're starting to identify as Christian rather than identify with their home culture. Because in Antioch, they were all one race together. They were all one people. And that didn't minimize their culture, but it actually elevated the culture of Christ. And so we get to do that as well. And it was from Antioch that the gospel went throughout the world. Dr. Tony Evans, the African-American pastor and, and really a thinker and leader in all of, of the evangelical world, he says this, when it comes to looking at not just our races, but, but who we are. He says, Doc, Dr. Evans says, Jesus is not calling white to be black or black to be white, but both to be biblical. And biblical truth overrides cultural difference. He said, adjust your humanity to your faith not your faith to your humanity. Black is only beautiful when it is biblical. White is right only when it agrees with holy writ. Dang, that's good. That's not only sounds good, that is good. 
that we as a family get to represent the kingdom of heaven together. So when we sin, we want to sin that as well. Uh, it, it is so powerful to me that um, even just over the last few weeks, you've had four pastors up front from four different ethnicities, right? You've had a black guy, an Asian guy, a Hispanic guy, and a guy that's kind of like an Uno wild card, okay? <laughs> you've had all of those <laughs> over the last few weeks. And so you're, the leadership of our church is very similar to Antioch. We get to see God moving in ways culturally that we don't get to see in a lot of other places. In fact, we have to bless each other, and I'm going to get real for a minute here, because when oppression happens in cultures and races, in the gospel, then the other races and cultures need to bless and raise up and encourage that culture. However, currently in America... 0.44% of current international missionaries are African-American. 7.12% of current international missionaries are Asian. 1.7% of current international missionaries are Hispanic. That means 90% roughly of international missionaries are white. I believe this needs to change. I believe that we are uniquely equipped in Austin, Texas to send multiculturally from multiple cultures to multiple cultures, that we would do that together. God's purpose in salvation is to bring races back together. He, he actually sets that up. In fact, it's one of the saddest things we see in Genesis and we miss it a lot of the time. Because in the tower, right before the Tower of Babel, all people are actually still speaking the same language. But because of our pride, Division comes upon people. Because of our pride in trying to be like God, he actually curses man and sends us and scatters us. But when the Holy Spirit comes, in Acts 2, we see that he's bringing back all the nations to himself. We see that he's reconciling all people to himself. He's opening his arms wide and saying, it doesn't matter what color you are, what language you speak, what tribe you're from, you are going to give me glory. And I'm going to make sure you have a chance to do that because I deserve your worship. That's what God is really saying. So when you look at Pentecost, it's the reversal of the Tower of Babel. And we get to see that God is moving because he's, he's a missionary God. He's on mission more than we could ever be, more than we could dream to be. And, and often we, we let other people's failures in missions we let other things that we see, we see people taking selfies and posting them on Instagram and when they're on a mission trip and then they come back and their life doesn't match up with it. And so we use that as our excuse not to go on mission. And I just want to challenge you from very personal experience, do not let someone else's disobedience or moral failure stop you from living out the call God has on your life. It, maybe it's time to get over it. Maybe it's time to heal. It, but it's definitely time to go. So number three, we sinned led by the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, one through three, I'm gonna go back to it again. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Again, that diversity, those multicultures together. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, 
set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We're going to focus on verses 2 and 3 now. Barnabas and Saul were set apart. And we are all called for the work of evangelism. We're all called to that. We're all called to share our faith. We're all called to share the gospel. We are all called to be a part of what God's doing on missions. And I want to be very clear with this. But it is a unique call to be a missionary. You know, God might call you to be a missionary overseas. He might call you to be a missionary at your workplace. But that's a unique call. We're all called to share the gospel. And so if you hear us talking about international missions this morning, that doesn't mean you get to opt out from evangelism. It doesn't mean you get to say, you know what, I don't have to share my faith. Other people are going to take care of that. That's between you and God, and you're going to have to answer to him on that. And and I I want to, to point that out to us at the same time because there are people set apart. There are people set apart to go. And so as we send, we want to send led by the Spirit. What that really means is we as a church, we have to listen. We have to be listening to the Holy Spirit as he sends. Often our temptation is to simply think other people will reach the lost, or it's to try and actually get ahead of what God is doing. We make our own plans so much, and we think our plans are so good that we're missing what God is actually doing. Now, Matt Carter, a pastor down the street at Austin Stone, says one of the most powerful lines I've heard in, in my heart because I needed it. I just confess I'm somebody who tries to run ahead of God's plan. And God sits me down very literally, very often. And what he says here, he says, if your mission is more important than your Savior, your Savior will have no part of your mission. If your mission is more important than your Savior, your Savior will have no part of your mission. You might be trying to lead somebody to Jesus that you know for years, and that mission has actually been more important than you even spending time with Jesus. I want to pray that that just sticks in you, that your Savior is more important. Jesus is more important than the global reach of missions because it's all about him. And we get to partner with God in that. The other thing I want to point out here is that they were praying and fasting. And actually it says that they were there for about a year praying by the people. They were really being equipped. They were being raised up. They were being prayed over by the people. They actually were building friendships. So as we sent some of the Barcelona team out, some of you felt it. It was really beautiful. It was actually my first day here at the well. And to see the tears of people as these folks were being sent out, knowing that, you know what, we're going to miss them, but it's worth it. And, And the same thing's happening in the early church. They're building real friendships. It's not like Paul was some robot who went around and did stuff. These were his friends. And the Holy Spirit spoke, and it was time to go. And so in that, Jesus is, is more important even than the gathering, right? And it seems like to me they're praying, Lord, what's next? I mean, if you're praying and fasting and then you send people, you're anticipating God telling you to go. You're anticipating some kind of action. Luke doesn't really tell us how the Holy Spirit spoke. He just says that the Holy Spirit spoke. And often we get caught up trying to figure out or formulate how the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us. It's like, if I have my quiet time on Mount Bunnell at sunrise, therefore God will speak. 
I mean, come on. That's how small your God is? The call of the Holy Spirit does not need to be ignored. If God's calling you to go, if he's calling you to go share the gospel with somebody, go. I mean, you've only got about 70, 80 years. What are you going to lose in comparison with 10,000? Why don't you go? Again, usually when people read the book of Acts, they think, go, go, go. But this time they're reading rest and prayer and fasting. But it's rest and prayer and fasting with a purpose. You might want to go. You might to be, might wish you were other places and you think, man, why am I in Austin? Then others of you are like, wait, didn't just last week we say we were planting a church in Austin because it's like the third least reached city in America behind San Francisco and Seattle? Yeah. But there's more people that don't know Jesus out there. This fasting changed the course of history. It's almost impossible to overrate the historical importance of this moment in Antioch, in the history of the world. There had been no missionary journeys. There had been no big plans, no strategic things for the church. It was the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit's speaking. It's time to go. So I think it's fair to say that God was pleased to make worship and prayer and fasting the launching pad for a mission that would change the course of history, don't you? I think that might be what God's calling some of us to this morning, to fast and to pray, to seek God's face and what he would say to us. And so ultimately, we we do, we sin for the glory of God. So number four today, we we sin for his glory and his name and not ours. Uh, Author John Piper writes, Missions exist where worship does not. Missions exist where worship does not. Currently, there's around 7.3 billion people in the world. 2.3 billion are Christian. 1.7 are Muslim. 1.1 billion are Hindu. 979 million are non-religious. 448 million are Buddhists. 671 million have ethnic or tribal religions that they still attribute to. Christians, though, make up 33% of the world's population and receive 53% of the world's income and spend 98% of it on themselves. While at the same time, for the last 2,000 years, since Jesus has risen, only 67, or sorry, only about 67% of the world has not heard the gospel. There are unreached people all over the world. In fact, about 3 billion people right now live in places that don't have access to the gospel. And 1.6 billion are completely unevangelized, meaning many of them, 1.6 billion people, have never even heard the name of Jesus. If you go on in in Acts, you do see in Acts 13, 49, it says, and the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. And you see this list of of cities and, and names, and there's all this through the book of Acts. Don't skip over those things. See, geography matters to God because people live in those places. And that's why we go. We go because those people matter to God. The list of cities just represents people. 
groups of people desperate for the hope of the gospel. And I don't know if God's calling you to a place, if he's calling you to your workplace. I pray that you go. For me personally, I was blessed to go to about 25 countries by the time I had turned 24. I can't tell you why I received that blessing, but now I try to steward it. I try to use what God has given me to then point people to him. In fact, like I told you when I was beginning, I would rather be overseas. <laughs> they, they dance a lot more when they worship, okay? <laughs> but God has called me here. See, Laura and I were serving and going back and forth in, in Mozambique, but we didn't know the culture. We didn't know the language, but yet God had called us to equip people. And so we felt like God was calling us to a place to launch people and send people. And that's one reason why we are here in this place. I've been blessed to, to see God work through men like Manuel. He, he in Mozambique, he, you might see a picture of him up here. He says he builds houses because he does. He's built 200 houses for widows and those affected by HIV. But he also leads multiple church plants. This guy is incredible. And, and getting to do life with him has changed how I do things here. These young men are being raised up and, and Manuel is actually helping them fight injustice in their city. In a city in Dondo, Mozambique, where 83% of the people are HIV positive. And about 40% have full-blown AIDS. What they go through, and if you see these guys up here, you see their smiles, is just incredible. We're called to meet not just the need of the gospel, but when it's required, we, we give, we bless physical needs as well. But even there in Mozambique, without churches, planting churches, the gospel does not spread. Even in the most desperate situations, there needs to be those movements. So we sin for the glory of Jesus' name, no matter where it is. I want to end with a story this morning that wrecked my life. Just totally messed it up. It was great. And it might do that for you too. Um, I was in uh, Northwest Africa. Um, it was uh, one of the, the moments in my life where I can look back and see God moving supernaturally. He was moving in such a way that I could never have prayed for what he was going to do. Uh, we, we began, we had a, a small team, and if you ever doubt the power of short-term missions, uh, come talk to me. I'd love to change your mind. Um, this was a short-term mission trip. We saw God move, and, and uh, God actually move in people's lives where they would come to know him in, in pretty drastic ways. Uh, we had, at this point, though, a, a lead on somebody in the High Atlas Mountains. So if you know where that is, you know where we were. And... As we were in the High Atlas Mountains, we were going to reach a Berber village. And our interpreter um, that was there that we were going to meet only spoke Arabic, okay? So we have triple translation going on. Can you say that five times fast? Okay. English to Arabic to Berber. We arrived, and, and what was crazy is, is as we're driving along, uh, we actually get blocked and stopped by what looked like secret police. They literally had AKs and they're stopping us on the side of a mountain. And in that moment, I thought, okay, this is it. 
We're going off the mountain. It's me and two blonde-haired, blue-eyed guys. We have no chance, okay? <laughs> we had rented a car and driven 10 hours from the main city because we had a guy's cell phone number in the mountains. Again, we were in college. It was great. <clears throat> As we're driving out, we're stopped, and then we were allowed to wave through, or wave through by these guys with guns, and I thought, that's, that's it. It's kind of classic missionary. Like, you just roll off the hill, nobody knows you're there. And what happens is they actually barricaded the road behind us. Then it begins to rain. And I mean, it is rain. And if you ever like watch some Nat Geo thing, it's like most dangerous roads to drive in the world. That's where we were. The rain's coming down. We're sliding. It's it's terrible. We're like, there's no way we're going to get to this place tonight. It's dark. This is pouring down in in the middle of the desert. There's no way we're even going to make it. Like, you know, why would God do this? That's what's going in my head. We arrive, and the way we arrive is we show up and we started yelling the name Simo because that was our contact's name. We pulled into this little kind of city, this collection of, of homes, and um, we said, okay, we've arrived, and, and we call in, and he's not answering. And so Simo is actually happens to be a nickname for Muhammad. And so as we're yelling Simo out of the car, about four or five men walk up, and they kind of look like the desert people from Star Wars. And I just thought, again, this is it, okay? We made it through one thing. No way God gets us through this next thing, okay? Though, thank God one of them knew Simo, got us to his house. So we arrive at Simo's house. We actually get to pray for his mom. He's a believer. He's the only believer in this area. That night, his best friend chooses to follow Jesus. Uh, God was doing something, and we had no idea what was happening. We thought... Okay, well, we'll sleep, we'll see what God does, but there's no way we're going to get to talk to people because a lot of our view of mission is to go and to preach and do big things, right? But God was doing something so much bigger than what we could have thought. We wake up the next morning and there's kids playing in the street, playing in the, the rain, and I'm like, why are these kids playing in the rain? Like, that's kind of weird. Like, where are we? And then we go throughout the day and, and we're actually brought to Simo's best friend's house. Because he had just come to Christ the night before, and he wants us to get to know his family. And so we're a little intimidated. And my friend had said, hey, I just feel like God wants me to pray for somebody to get healed. And so one of the guys with me sees the Father's hand. And in in this culture, honor, shame is a huge deal. And so you don't really approach somebody unless they approach you if you're younger. He says, can I pray for your hand? And it has to get triple translated. He says, yes. Okay, that's favor, that's good. So he prays for his hand. His hand starts moving. He's like, okay, God's doing something here. And th- this is incredible. This guy's reacting. We start to try to share about the gospel. Then he stands up and starts yelling at us. And I'm like, oh, crap. Okay. He starts yelling, and he starts actually pointing at his sons. And he's just, like, screaming. And if you've seen Lord of the Rings where the king gets off the throne and he's, like, awake again, like, that's what this felt like, okay? It's like, I'm about to die. And he's yelling. And it gets triple translated very slowly back to us that we prayed to Allah for three years for rain. And you came in the name of Jesus and it rained. We will now all be Christians. He tells his whole household, you're Christians now. (laughs) They all pray, very legitimately. 
because they'd never heard about grace before. We later find out they actually have Jewish heritage. God had been pursuing his people for 2,000 years, all the way to a little Berber village with three college students from Texas. We never once prayed for rain. In fact, later I found out one of my mom's best friends that she'd been praying with for 30 years over the phone, literally every like Friday morning. That's a whole nother story, another sermon for another day, faithfulness. Um, that woman woke up in the night and said, hey, I just feel like I need to pray for Adam. I found out that that was the same time that those guards, those secret police had barricaded the road. God was moving in ways we never prayed for. He was on mission far before we were ever there. He was working in these people's hearts and he made it rain. And guess what? They hand us a guitar that had like four and a half strings. And they said, you want to play a song? And one of the guys out of the three of us had been flirting with a girl at our college ministry. And she taught him how to play Let It Rain. Open the floodgates to heaven. Let it rain. So what did we do? We taught him, let it rain. And we worshiped together. And we saw God move in a way that, like I said, wrecked me for the rest of my life. I have to go when he says go. I've seen him move. I know he's still working. So when we sin, we, we get to sin in the authority of Jesus' name. Amen? We get to sin multiculturally to multiple cultures. And we get to sin. When we sin, we're led by the Spirit. And we sin for the glory of God. Cal, if you can throw that picture up of these guys. There's the two college guys that were with me. And for their safety, so that doesn't get posted anywhere. Those are the four sons. And the friend in the back, Simo, up stop behind me. That's the father sitting there. They're worth it. For God's glory and for their eternity. It's worth it to go. I want to challenge you this morning. We're going to do something. The last two weeks have not been normal. We know that. We're very aware of that. <laughs> but some of you have been waiting to go, and you've just been waiting for the opportunity. Some of you have been praying about whether you should go on missions long term. Whether you should go and literally pray about if this is God's call on your life. That he would burden you in such a way that you would go for the nation's. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. Anybody that feels called to go. That's three people. Thank you. If you were praying about or Maybe you're even just 2% sure if this is you. I'm only saying that because that's what Tori told me to say. <laughs> if you feel like God's calling you to go maybe midterm for a year or two to see if this is what God is calling you to do for your life, would you stand this morning?
if you're here and God's doing something in your heart, you don't know what he's doing, you're like, those are some really weird stories, Adam. But I want to know that God. I want to go with that God. And you want to be sent, like we've been talking about sending as a family. On a short-term trip, would you stand? What I want to do now is if you're near these folks, would you just reach out your hand towards them? We're going to pray and ask that they would be led by the Holy Spirit. Father, we submit these children to you who love you and need you desperately, God. Lord, whatever you're doing, whether it's long-term, mid-term, or short-term, would you lead them? Lord, would you set them apart by your spirit? Would you go before them and empower them to do your work, God? You said of Saul and Barnabas that you set them apart for the work that you have prepared for them, God. We pray that for these that are standing right now, that you would prepare their hearts for the work that you have prepared for them. Maybe not the work they want to do even, God. You will stretch them. We thank you for their boldness to stand. We thank you for how that is an encouragement and a challenge to each one of us, God. Would we go from this place willing to share your gospel, remembering that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to you, Jesus? Would we stand on that truth? Would we not try to go beyond or go too fast, Lord? We submit having a hundred missionaries be sent long-term, God. We thank you for those that are standing. We ask humbly that if that is your will, would you send them? Would you launch them? We bless your name, Jesus. We pray that you would do this work. Would you literally let it rain? Would you go before and remind us who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys give God a hand this morning? As the worship team comes up, and we're going to sing a few songs this morning to respond to what God has done. And we're going to remember that Jesus is the ultimate missionary, that he was sent by God to us. And so I want to give you a, a verse as we go into communion and as we worship. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wherever you go this morning, know that Christ in you is the hope of glory. That you would be commissioned and sent out with a boldness and a hope knowing that it is worth it that you have Christ in you. He is worth giving because he came to us. He's our ultimate example of it, what it means to give up a throne in heaven and to come and be a missionary to a broken and needy people. And that he would move, that he would work. And as we take communion, there's, there's six stations around the room. Would you remember? Would you remember that God the Father sent him and that he gave up his life so that you and I might have life? As you go and you remember what Jesus has done on the cross for you, would you continue to pray about 
how he's asking you to give up your life.